What's up, safety people? In the last podcast, we spoke about risk assessments. We're going to stick on the same trend, talking about risk and risk assessments. This time, we're going to talk about quantitative, quantitative and qualitative risk assessments. Those of you that do risk assessments might have been thinking over the last podcast, why didn't he talk about those two? What the fuck? Missing the complete gist of what I needed to know. Well, we're going to answer those questions today, help you decide which one to pick. Let's get into the podcast. Health and safety is almost a victim of its own success. We need an oppressive regime of health and safety regulations. Huge fire engulfs a tower block in London. Children being forced to wear goggles to play conkers at school. Worst oil field disaster, 164 dead. Rebranding Safety, the modern health and safety podcast, crushing the stereotype. Brought to you by Risk Fluent and your host, James McPherson. So, quantitative and qualitative risk assessments. First things first, let's get a bit of a debate out of the way. So, quantitative, meaning measuring by data and digits and numbers and the amount of something, and qualitative, meaning measuring by the quality of something, or not numbers. So, there are two types of risk assessments, and one uses numbers and one doesn't. So let's just let's just kind of nail iron out the creases at first. The, a quantitative risk assessment is not what we normally see and refer to as quantitative risk assessments. They're actually risk assessments with risk scoring um, matrix on. Um, a quantitative risk assessment is a massive. Um, collection of data and repetitions of probabilities over and over and over again that then calculates the most statistical um, probability basically and these are for like real high risk industries for like chemical and nuclear um, and and actually most of us that debate in the safety industry uh, about you know, quantitative and qualitative risk assessments um, and, and the benefits, pros and cons of each are, are actually full of crap because um, it's not a quantitative risk assessment. It's actually just a qualitative risk assessment with risk scoring on it. So when we talk about it today, we're just talking about normal risk assessments with no risk scoring matrix, which I'll call risk assessments, and then a risk assessment with a risk scoring matrix on it, um, which I will call a risk scoring or risk scoring matrix. Um, the re- main reason for calling these two is it's really difficult to keep saying quantitative and qualitative risk assessment, and I don't want to push my luck because I think if I calculate this correctly, this will be the sixth time I've recorded this podcast. So sitting here pretty much live on Christmas Eve and update the upload this as soon as I'm finished. Been an absolute nightmare. Okay, so you might have noticed if you re-listened to any of the old podcasts uh, and you might have, you would have just noticed after the hook, we have introduced a little intro. I hope you like it guys. It's a little early Christmas present I made for myself. Um it just makes it feel a bit more professional. I'm trying to take steps over. I've been working really hard over the last week to try and up the sound quality, um, you know, and real make it a bit slicker. I'm not having a great time, if I'm honest, and that's one of the reasons I've recorded this six times over. Um, so hopefully in the new year, I get um, some new software and, and try and get it a bit slicker, a bit smoother. Um, and, um, and yeah, look forward to the new year. So this will be the last time you hear from me until the new year. 
Um, I think we will come in probably the first or second Tuesday of the new year. Keep an eye on the Facebook um, account or page and then uh, you'll, you'll get updates from there. Okay, so let's crack on. So normal risk assessments then that don't use a risk scoring matrix, great examples are the ones you can download off the HSE. Um, they're basically uh, a list of columns and um, the first column would be identify the hazard. Second column would be who's going to be harmed. Third column would be how they would be harmed uh, and or and what you were doing. Or sometimes you, you combine the how and the hazard together. So you might get hazard and how that might harm you. Or you might get the task and the how combined. It doesn't really matter. Basically, it's what what's there that could hurt you? Who could it hurt? How's it going to hurt you? And within the wider scheme of the task, what is the task you are doing? Um, and that essentially is the first section of the risk assessment and then the section section. The second section um, is coming up with the control measures to protect you or your staff from that hazard. So a risk scoring matrix then is the same thing except we add in a couple of numbers. So basically we we'd identify the hazard and identify who's going to be harmed and how they would be harmed and then we would ass assign a number based on probably like a little 5x5 five five box of the severity. So how bad would the incident be if, if this happened for example. So it will go from number 1 being sometimes um, no first aid incident, just a basic you know plaster or something like that or a little oh your bugger that hurt but crack on um number two might be a first aid incident and then you go all the way up to like five where we hit fatality okay and then in the next column you would then have likelihood so you would have basically one would be like non impossible and five would be like imminent and then what that does is then you combine the two numbers together and if I remember rightly I think you times them together um, and you can they normally give you a little five by five box and then what that does is give you an overall risk rating um, and then that, that helps you kind of decide or show what level of risk that task is. Um, so let's talk about some pros and cons of risk scoring then so obviously the pros of risk scoring um, will be kind of the cons on the not risk scoring and the cons of risk scoring would be the pros of not risk scoring I hope that makes sense I think that makes sense I don't know anyway let's crack on so pros of risk scoring they can be unbelievably helpful to to prioritize and measure um, within a business um, they can help you develop charts and, and measuring the level of risk in your business or in a task or on a machine or something like that. Um, after all, there's that saying that I can't remember for the life of me, but what's not measured doesn't get done or something like that. Um, number two, they can help bring perspective to people who are not really um, used to doing risk assessments. You know, so some people work better with numbers. You, if you say one is, is nothing and five is fatality, then people will be like, oh, OK, I get that. And it might be really easy for them, or easier then, for them to, to develop that risk assessment. Um, quick identification of risk. It is really easy, especially when you add rag charts to it, like red, amber, greens, onto the end of it. 
to identify a high risk portion of a task or a high risk task within the within the business or something because there's a big red box that says high or something like that and that's really good especially if you've got like really long drawn out risk assessment so you might need for because you've got like say machineries normally have like a massive raft of risk assessments so within that and within the tasks of of running that machine you might have the whole thing um and then within that there's one bit that's really high risk and you can highlight that as high um and it's really easy to identify that nice and quickly so <clears throat> let's talk about some cons then in my experience sometimes the number or actually quite a lot of the time the numbers can really distract you from the point of the risk assessment which is mainly to highlight significant risks and control them and um, we spoke about that in the last risk assessment didn't we a lot of the times, uh, people also overcomplicate the numbering system. So the most common is five by five. I've seen some really crazy numbering systems over these, and the reason for that is the next con, which is because it it can be really difficult to pick out of only five options, especially for severity. Sometimes you know it, it's it's really on perception, and we spoke about perception of risk in the last one, didn't we? Um, so and then finally. It can encourage you sometimes to not do anything. So sometimes it can, it will give you, you'll do your calculation and it might say, for example, some of the ones I've seen, it might say low risk equals no action. Um, so you don't do anything when actually it might be really easy for you to do something. It might be reasonably practicable for you to do something. Therefore, technically, you're not complying with the law. That aside, law aside, the point is it, it's really easy to do. So, so just do it. Um, so and the numbers and, and the numbering systems and the scoring systems and setting levels and stuff like that can really distract you from the main point of the risk assessment and you end up doing a risk assessment for the sake of doing a risk assessment so next we're going to talk about some examples basically um, or some scenarios basically about, about kind of trying to put those pros and cons into perspective um, First things first, you know, we've got to say that the HSE give you a template for a risk assessment and it does not have a risk scoring basis. Um, it does not have a risk scoring system on there. Um, so that's their, them kind of saying to you, we're going to do it without the numbering systems. However, like I've said, there are clear benefits to using a, a risk scoring system, a numbering system. Um, and I can understand why there's so many businesses out there that pick these up and run with them because... They do give businesses some clear, clear benefits. So anyway, let's let's talk about some examples to really bring the points home. Okay, so if you if you, you're gonna use the risk numbering system, here's an example where we might start to struggle. Um so we're gonna talk about severity in this one. This we use the severity numbering system as an example. So one, let's say that was a first aid incident and five is a fatality. So if we're gonna talk about a trip, yeah. So in my last podcast I said that a trip um is not normally a significant hazard or significant finding therefore it shouldn't be on your risk assessment so there are industries where a trip could be significant i don't know that's on you to decide but i'm not saying that it never should and i'm not saying you should take my word for gospel what i'm trying to do is open your eyes a little bit and make and give you some food for thought <laughs> get my words out um 
for you to just kind of step back and take a think about it. But let's just talk about the numbers then. So if you've got a trip, for example, normally that can range from like a minor bruise all the way up to a broken bone. So just within those two, that's a massive range of, of, um, of injuries, isn't it? I mean, we're talking minor bruise or broken bone. Then we're talking what broken bone? Broken pinky, broken thumb, broken wrist, broken arm, you know, Fingers and digits, not riddles. You know, any other bone is a riddle. That's just jumped up. So you might have, say, first aid incident, uh, a broken bone, non-riddle, or a broken bone, riddle. We're at one, two, three, we're at three already. Um, we've only got two more, and it's a fatal- we're sitting at fatality. And as much as it pains me to say, a trip could um, result in a death. It really could. Some crazy thing could happen. Um but it's not reasonably practicable for you to kind of come to that conclusion that it could come to a death. So really what we're saying here is that it can cause widely, wildly, sorry, different results. And that can result in panic sometimes. If you set something um, a high risk, it can cause just nightmares. I mean, if we look at the back of kind of, kind of, Grenfell, and we, we we think about, you know, if you lived in a high-rise block of flats and you saw that on the news, um, and then you you saw what people are saying about cladding, for example, you and you know there's cladding on your building, or you think there's cladding on your building, you could quite rightly start to panic. And that is a over-exaggerated example of what could happen in your business. You might say, you know, one day, this is really high-risk, um, and that causes an absolute panic, and then people say, we're not going to do that anymore, and we stop the process, and then you stop making products, and then that product then delays, that argument then delays the customer's delivery, then that customer goes elsewhere, and boom, we've lost a customer. And, and as we said in another podcast, safety is not the first thing that we think about. Safety is just habitual within our business, it's a habit, yeah? Our first priority is being a business and making a profit, yeah? That's what businesses are. So let's not kid ourselves, um, and risk assessment should enable you to do that. So that's just one example of how perception of risk, as we spoke about in the last podcast as well, combine that with a risk numbering system can just blow something way out of proportion. The numbering systems can also take you away from reasonably practicable so we talked about it earlier so let's just put an example to what i talked about earlier we got a brightly colored extension lead in a well-lit basement for example and that basement let's say it's only accessed once a year for example um that then quite rightly would us would result in us identifying that risk as low yeah therefore nothing to be done or therefore it's not significant and it probably wouldn't even go in right in on our risk assessment if we're doing it correctly right so, we add a numbering system to that, and that numbering system will produce a number, a risk number, and then that will produce an action, yeah? So, what that action normally is, is low brackets, no action, or tolerable risk, or something like that, okay? That then encourages you not to do something. You're like, I don't need to do anything because the numbers say it's a low risk, and I don't need to do anything. So, then you don't do anything, and you don't move that extension lead, but actually... Let's say, for example, that that trip that we just spoke about does happen, right? And someone trips over and they do die, right? And you're thinking, well, I'm I'm fine. I didn't put that on there because it's not a significant hazard, and you are correct. However, the HSC inspector comes in and you still get you still get torn a new asshole. Why is that? 
Well, that's because you didn't do what's reasonably practicable because it turns out it was actually really easy for you to move that extension lead and provide another solution which removed the hazard. So therefore, you didn't comply with the law. So whilst I'm saying don't record all your significant hazards, and that's correct, what I'm also saying is don't just do nothing because it's not significant. What I'm saying is just do something if it is reasonable to do it. If you look at it and go, uh, it's a low risk, but you know what? I could just plug it in that plug around the corner. We'd get the same job done, and, and the cable would run along the wall and not be a tripping hazard. You know, that's reasonably practicable, and that's the definition of a risk assessment. So some of you might be sitting there saying, it's not significant, I won't write it down, you know, I won't consider it. I'm not saying you don't consider low-risk items. What I'm saying is you don't record them and create yourself work. We consider low-risk stuff day-to-day -day in our normal jobs, in our normal day-to-day -day life, sorry. So you go to cross a road, not a crossing, and you've essentially done a risk assessment in your head, yeah? You're on the way to the football, and you're walking in the middle of the road, singing your chanting your songs, because that's just what football fans do. Uh, actually, I think that's just what all sports fans do, if I'm honest. Um, but you've made a risk assessment. Yeah, you've made a risk assessment. You in your head have subconsciously considered that it's 30 miles an hour speed limit. You know, they know the big game on. You know, it, it's the likelihood there's so many of us here of a car just running through us all is really, really low. Most people just beep and we'll all get out of the way and then they carry on. Yeah, so you've done a risk assessment. You don't have to write that down, but you have done a risk assessment. So, that's two examples and a slight digression, but it's two examples. So just to kind of tie that, that one example up, I'm not saying don't consider low risk items or non or insignificant risks. What I'm saying is you should record significant risk and stuff that's not significant enough to put on your risk assessment, you should just either deal with or do what's reasonably practicable. Or if it's not reasonably practicable, then you don't do something. Okay. So using the same risk matrix, a well-controlled adventure activity, for example, such as cave diving or, or climbing, may result in us identifying the level of risk as high or intolerable, meaning we don't do it, despite the fact that the organisation, or us, for example, might have implemented reasonably practicable controls and therefore it's reasonably safe. Given the nature of the of the kind of business, if you're in that kind of industry, there is inherent risk within that job. And most of the customers that do that know that. And that is a great example of risk assessment. We touched about on it in the last podcast, didn't we? Where we spoke about like movie industries and stuff like that. And I probably waffled on a bit much about Tom Cruise because I've got a bit of a man crush on him. But... What I'm trying to say here is that an industry like that, they have to do a risk assessment, but nine times out of ten, they just do it subconsciously because they're trained professionals in climbing or cave diving or whatever. But if we implement a numbering system onto that, there's probably no way that you can avoid that raising it up as a high-risk job, which might say that you don't do it anymore. So how do you get around that? Well, sometimes I've seen... A quite a clever way of using risk numbering systems which is kind of when when I, I don't mind risk numbering systems when you do it twice within the, within the assessment so you would number the risk without controls so you would identify the hazard identify who's going to get harmed and how they would get harmed then you would number the severity number the likelihood and produce a risk number then you would 
write in a column next to it your control measures. So you would implement your controls. Then you would renumber the system. So you would give it a new uh, severity number, a new likelihood number, and therefore produce a new risk number, which should be lower than the original. I'm not saying it will definitely be sometimes you might implement a control and actually severity is so high that it's not really changed anything or vice versa so i do like it when you use those two numbering systems and i think that's a way to kind of um nip in the bud kind of some of the the problems that we've raised previously now if there's any of you out there that have done ncrq qualifications you'll probably have noted that their opinion of risk uh, number in systems on risk assessments is is threefold one they're not suitable for determining if enough has been done to comply with the law two they're very subjective and can produce inconsistent results three the reliance of scoring risk can result in inadequate safety precautions being taken to control risk, or conversely, additional costly measures introduced where not needed. And and most of those kind of get nipped in the bud if we deal with perception of risk. So if you've got a good team of people doing a risk assessment, essentially you'll probably solve some of these problems before they've even arrived. And, And on that point, it kind of means that they're not all that bad and, and actually I'm going to I'm going to be honest with you I'm a bit of a hypocrite sitting here and kind of moaning about them because whilst I'm not a massive fan of risk numbering systems I've only actually done a small handful of non risk numbering system risk assessments wow that's even more of a mouthful than quantitative and quality no quantitative and qualitative uh, risk assessment so I've only done a handful of ones without a risk numbering system. Um, why is that? Because they're industry standard. Let, let's not kid ourselves. They are pretty much industry standard now. I don't think, I've not come across one major business or one even small business that doesn't do them. Even though, in theory, the first place we should go for a template is a HSE and they give us ones without a numbering system. So there is a demand there. And what, where there's a demand, it means either it's a fad is it a fad? I don't think so because I've been in this game for a while now and it's been there since I started, before I started and it's still there now. So I don't think it's a fad. So that means for me that, that they're required and that they do have benefits. And I touched on some of the benefits earlier, didn't I? And, and in my experience, you know, when you start using these numbering systems quite cleverly outside of the risk assessments and you combine that with rag charts etc and let's be honest all boardrooms love rag charts and even senior managers do these are really useful ways to highlight um, and display and depict risk to senior management that have got other priorities um, and it's real good way say for example if your ceo was going to do safety tours around the factory for example well, it might be a good way to, for him or her to pick somewhere to go. So they're going to go look at the high-risk jobs um, once a quarter or every six months. And then, and then in, in, in between on the other quarters, they might then go and see the medium to low-risk jobs or, or something like that. But you get the gist of it. Um, it can be real good for displaying it to you know and not to stereotype finance departments but they they normally like to deal in numbers and sometimes you know given 
them a risk assessment in numbers helps them. And do you know what? Let's be honest, guys, and I am going to do a podcast about this, but finance people should be, if not just as good as you, maybe better at risk assessment because they do exactly the same thing as what you're doing, but they look at risk of money, risk of losing, risk of investment, a return on invest, investment and things like that. So they're doing exactly the same thing. And I'm going to talk about how, you know, risk department should be start to evolve into just being one department and safety should be part of that. Um, and there should just be essentially, you know, a risk department, not health and safety department. But that I'm digressing anyway. So that that's a different podcast. So we spoke about quite a bit. Um, and, and in summary, Kind of what I'm saying here is that whatever type of, excuse me, that wasn't, if you heard that, that wasn't me, it's my dog underneath the table um, rubbing his eyes or whatever, he does this weird thing where he like rolls on the floor, but now he decided for the first time ever to do it right underneath the table where I'm working. So, this podcast is just like cursed. So I'm just going to crack on and hope that you didn't hear that and you're just like, what is going on? So anyway, in summary, guys, pe- people, what I'm saying here is it doesn't really matter what template you use. If you've got good training in place, you've got a good culture in place, um, it, it, it doesn't matter what you use. It really doesn't. And if one way benefits your business more than the other, then do it that way. I really don't care. I prefer you focus on what we spoke about in the last podcast. And you need to focus on building a culture. And whilst culture is a word that annoys me slightly because we seem to all jump on it and we seem to say, oh, yeah, well, that's the culture. Or, yeah, we need to work on building a better culture. Um there's a lot more that goes into that and um and we and I am going to talk about culture and I'm going to do a separate podcast on on what on my kind of thinkings around culture but just to kind of give you a couple of snippets of that what we spoke about in the last podcast is essentially the first step or one of the first step to building a positive culture and it's not a positive safety culture it should just be a positive culture within your business yeah so a positive culture is everything financial it's operational it's safety it's absolutely everything all in one and the reason why i get a bit annoyed but because it to build a good culture is actually thousands upon thousands of tiny little things that you might do right or wrong in your business which will then inherently kind of affect your culture and risk assessments is one of the biggest ones there there is no magic wand for fixing your culture unfortunately but risk assessments in my opinion is one of the biggest the closest things you'll get to that magic wand if you go over the top on your risk assessment you inherently straight away damage your culture but if you don't do that and you whoever you are listening to this podcast you are doing those risk assessments and then outside of those risk assessments you become the living embodiment of that positive culture that you imagine that's infectious and and you will infect your colleagues on on this culture and it will start to spread so be the living embodiment of the culture that you envision do your risk assessments of focusing on the things we spoke about in the last podcast and, and essentially go out and spread the infection uh, throughout your business. 
that's it guys that's the end of this podcast and that's also the end of 2018 from rebranding safety risk fluent and myself james mcpherson i hope you've enjoyed this podcast we've talked about um using and not using risk scoring matrices 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 oh do you know what i I can't get my words out on this podcast it seems to be cursed um i I'd like to probably say on that note, I apologise for the quality of this podcast because it's terrible. Um, it's all over the place. It's messy. And, and it got to a point, guys, six, sixth time over where I'm just like, you know what? I'm just rolling with this. So for anything you hear in the background or noises or weird sounds or mismatched words, I do apologise, but I've just given up. It's on a positive note. I've been trying to improve the quality of the audio for you guys and the overall kind of professional professionalism god of the podcast um so yeah that's it we talked about risk assessments in the last two i think in the new year you'll probably hear from me first or second week of the new year keep your eye out on facebook and twitter we'll let you know Um, but i think we'll continue the trend of risk uh assessing and risk management and and risk as a concept uh i think there's a lot to talk about around that kind of one word risk um but yeah so it's christmas eve uh, enjoy yourselves. Have a lovely, lovely Christmas and a, an amazing New Year. It's it's what my personally it's my favourite time of the year. I think it's the only time where most people in England are, are quite nice to each other, um, and it's the only time of the year that weirdos like me and my mum say hello to everyone on a, on a dog walk, um, get hellos back and not weird looks. Um, so yeah, enjoy yourself. Be with friends. Be with family. Give gifts. Receive gifts and whatever. If you don't celebrate Christmas, I hope you got some time off and you enjoy the the holidays. Um, if you haven't got time off, then I, I hope everyone's being nice and it's not as bad as, as a normal day. I hope, um, I hope it's lenient on you. So I'll see you in the new year, guys. Have a great time. Thanks for listening. Lots of love. Bye-bye.